Jesus' name, someone said. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've been dealing for the last few weeks with a series entitled Built to Last. And we started dealing with the building of the altar and we moved to the laying of the foundation and the building of the actual temple. And now we're dealing with the third phase of this building project in the book of Nehemiah. And from the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, as we, as we learned in the last two messages that I shared, this book really surrounds itself around one thing. And I love what Claudie said because it surrounds itself around one thing, and that is the importance of prayer. If you and I are not people of prayer, we will do very little to accomplish kingdom works in this earth. Hallelujah. If we are not a people who are truly given to seeking the face of God in that quiet place, in our private time, we will be very ineffective when we come out into this earth to represent the king of glory. Because, church, it is vitally important that we do not depend on just our talents or our abilities, that we do not depend depend on our degrees and our education, but that we truly depend on the King of kings and Lord of lords. There was something powerful and glorious that happened in the book of Acts. The Peter and, and, and the other apostles were locked up and, and, and they were taken because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. And, and, and the Pharisees said something awesome to them. They said, you know what, we know that these people are not educated, but they walked with Jesus. What marked their lives was a walk with Christ, was a true walk with Christ, not like the Kanye West walk with Christ. Hello, somebody. Glory to God. A true walk with Christ. And so when we're looking at this particular book in the Bible, we see that before Nehemiah said a word to the king about going to do his task, he prayed and fasted and mourned for what? Four months sought the face of God before he spoke one word in the name of the Lord. That is what we need to be about, church, a people who do not speak until the burden of God has overwhelmed our lives. If there's one thing that you get throughout this entire message, I'm going to say it right now, and I pray that you grow grab this. It is that when God puts something inside of your spirit, when he puts something inside of your heart, you need to make sure that you allow him to take you into the labor room of prayer and that way you can give birth to that thing through praying and seeking his face. Not because he touched you and said I want you to do this. Don't just jump up, but you need to come before him and let that thing burn inside of your spirit. Let it grow inside of your spirit and then begin to push as the Spirit of God allows you because if not, when situations arise and things begin to come against you, you were highly emotional when you started, but because the Spirit of God was not allowed to birth that thing in you, when you face the issues and circumstances, guess what? You will be stopped in your tracks because you didn't understand what women who have given birth understand. And it is this. It is a joyful moment, that wonderful day that you find out I am with child. But it is a long nine months before you can push and behold that child. Did you hear me, church? See, some of the women are in here, they can get a little witness, glory to God. They were excited, and then most of them, they get to that place where it's like that, that, that end of that last trimester, and they're walking around, hallelujah. And they just, I, I just can't wait for this to be over. It's, it, it beca you know what? Because they have been impregnated with something, that thing has grown in them, and now it's time for it to come forward, church. And it is important that we realize, look, if you, it's dangerous. Hear me. It's dangerous. They will not. Look, doctors in their right mind will not induce labor. Hear me. Before a certain time in the pregnancy, because of what? Because if they do it too early, they deal with premature baby situations. Hello, church. Health issues. This is the reason why you cannot prematurely just say, I'm going to go. Hold on a second. Glory to God. So I stand on our feet and go home. I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
It is imperative, church, that we get this in our spirit. Why? Because the days in which we live, this is something that we have been speaking about since we started this series. This is something that has been my heart since we started this church. And it is that we need to see the kingdom of God extended within our society now. The kingdom of God has got to be manifested. But you want to know something? You will not do anything until the situations become personal. Hear me, church. You will do nothing but come to church, enjoy yourself, be blessed, hallelujah, and all of that wonderful stuff. Go home, enjoy your family life, which is wonderful. Ain't nothing wrong with all of that. We want you to enjoy family life, have a great time, but we also know that we need to be people of purpose. Amen. And not just people of our own purpose, but people who are, in, who are in, in line with the purpose and the will of God. And so what happens is when we walk around and we do not take personal the things that are going on within our society, we will do nothing to make a difference. Hello, somebody. And so no matter how many preachings you hear, no matter how many scriptures you read, no matter how many scriptures you, you memorize, no matter how much you know what God's will is, until it becomes personal, you will do nothing about it. Church, we need to wake up to this reality. Amen? Amen? See, because Nehemiah, he took personal the situation that was going on in Jerusalem. But why did he take it personal? Was it because he saw it on CNN? That didn't exist, so it couldn't have been that. Hello. Was it because he went and visited Jerusalem? He didn't go and visit Jerusalem. He was in the palace as the king's cupbearer. We know that. So he didn't, he, he, he didn't see it firsthand. He wasn't there. Was he the cause of those walls being torn down and burned? Of course not. He was too young. He was way, way, way too young to have been there when those walls came down. So it wasn't his fault. In other words, he didn't do it. And the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, as we grow up, we see certain things. You know, when you're trying to teach your children, and, and you know, some of us will remember this, when you're trying to teach your children to just pick up stuff. When you have multiple children, see, I'm a family of six, hallelujah. And so it was always easy to say, I didn't put that there. Any parent ever heard that? Can I get a witness? Any person in here, old or young alike, you know, anybody ever said something like that? I didn't put it there. Hello. That ain't my mess. We'd be in work and say, well, I didn't do it. So Hold on a second. Listen. So we, we don't take it personal because it wasn't our fault, right? That's, that, that, that's how we are in our immaturity. Because when you get a little bit older, you realize what? If it's on the floor, it needs to be picked up. Didn't matter who put it there. Amen, somebody. Especially moms, you know, that be running around picking up after everyone. Hallelujah. They really got that revelation. Need you to get it to. Amen. Receive that right now in Jesus' name. Husbands, children alike, all of us, let's all receive a revelation. Glory to God. If it's on the floor, pick it up. My mom used to slap me in the head be like, boy, you just walked by that. Pick it up. Hello. Because, uh, you know, when, when you, 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 be, you be like walking around like, like avoiding it. You'll go through a different door if you can just so you ain't got to pick the thing. Listen, if it's on the floor, you know it's there. Pick it up. Glory to God. Stepping over it be like, I didn't see it. Yeah, but you moved all crazy, but you didn't see it. Uh-huh. Glory to God. You saw it, you just didn't want to deal with it. You didn't want to stop because you were in such a rush to do whatever you were going to do. So Nehemiah had this issue. He wasn't the cause of the walls being burned. He wasn't the cause of the walls being torn. He, he wasn't the reason for it. He hadn't made a personal visit. You know what else he didn't do? He didn't make a, 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 any type of investment for these walls to be built. It wasn't like he said, okay, well, here's, you know, 20 million. Go ahead and build it. He didn't do that. He didn't have any reason to be connected to this situation other than one thing, church. He was connected with the heart of God, and he was bound to the will of God. He was connected to the heart of God. And because he was connected to the heart of God, he was convinced he was bound to seeing the will of God. And when he heard the report that the walls were burned down, that the city was in distress, he began to weep and began to mourn. And that is what needs to happen to us, church, when we are going around our days, when we are looking at the news that we know is super depressing. Tears should come to our eyes when we're seeing things that are going on. Something should be breaking in us and making us go into a prayer closet and begin to cry out to God, God, do something. And you know what is the glory? Is that when we go into that prayer closet and we take personal what is going on, as we cry out to him to do something, he increases our burden, gives us the wisdom and the boldness to call us to go do something. Hallelujah. 
There was a preacher one time. His name is Lester Sumrall, and he and he was he was known for deliverance. That 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 is what he was known for. He was known for. He he was the kind of guy that look. He he would go into jails. I mean, you you remember Jesus? You read the stories about Jesus, right? And how Jesus walked into places and people started trembling. Demons started you know yelling out. You know, did you come to torment us? All that stuff, right? Well, Lester Sumrall was known for those same type of manifestations. He would walk into psychiatric wards, and I mean, this guy was a powerful man of deliverance. And he was one day watching on the news somewhere. And as, he, as he's, watching the, he's watching the news in his house, and as he's seeing the news, there's this thing that continues to come on the news about this girl that is like in Argentina or something like that who is demon-possessed and is having some serious issues with this demon possession. They got her in a psychiatric ward. I'm going to tell you how bad this thing was. I mean, this woman was waking up and having all kind of horrible experiences. So Dr. Lester Summerall, you know what he did? He got down on his knees and he began to pray, Father God, deliver her. Father God, deliver her. And after about the third or fourth time or whatever that he said, Father God, deliver her, the Lord said, why don't you go over there and deliver her? Now, mind you, this is going to cost this brother money. He's got to pay a ticket to get on a plane. It's not like they're going to come and fly him in because he's Dr. Lester Summerall. It ain't nothing like that. Nobody has invited him to come over there. But you want to know what happened? Even though he wasn't invited, he was sent. Hear me, church. Even though no one called him up and said, hey, man, come on over here, God said, I want you to go over there. And you know what he did? He went over there, and he, he, he went. He, this woman was seriously, I mean, bad, bad demon possessed. This, this, this is how crazy it was. The woman was speaking in English to him. The demon was speaking in English to him. He cast the demon out of the girl, and she couldn't speak English. He had to get a translator so she could accept Christ and not be filled with this demon again. Did you hear what I just said? This is how horrified, this is how horrible this situation was with this woman. He went over there, got in front of her. He was like, come out in the name of Jesus. Demon wasn't budging. He prayed and he told the guy, he said, look, I'm going to have to come back. I need to have a half day of fasting and prayer. And he went, fasted, came back the next day, cast the demon out of this girl. Why do I share the story? Because you know what? He saw something on the news, took it personal and said, man, I got to do something. He began to cry out to God. God began to speak to him. And now he went out and, and, and it, it's written. He, he, it's, in, it's in the history of his life of what happened. And so what's important for us, church, is that we take personal the condition of what is going on in our society. God is calling for kingdom builders to arise. Do we have any kingdom builders in here in this place? God is calling for world changers to get in their position. God is calling for his church to become refocused on his building plans. And what does God's building plans consist of? It consists of extending his kingdom in the earth. It consists of turning families the right way. It consists of changing lives for the better. It consists of bringing deliverance to those who are bound. It consists of making a change wherever his people are. Church, if you read history on the true body of Christ, you will find that wherever the church was, God was. And wherever God is, order comes. Wherever order comes, there is change. And the way things are will be different. Because of what? Because God has found a dwelling place. And that is what we are called to be. Oh my goodness, I feel like preaching this morning. Listen, that is what we are called to be, church. The dwelling place. We're talking about building. What are we talking about building? A dwelling place for God. A dwelling place where his spirit can move freely. Hallelujah. That is what God is looking for us to become. And so what do I say? I say it is time for the body of Christ to set its hands to the work of the kingdom that God has set before us. When Nehemiah came to these people, he, told, he pointed out to them. He said, listen, guys, he said, we are in distress. He said, our walls are torn down. We are wide open to the attacks of the enemy. We are wide open to ridicule. We are wide open to all of these negative things. We're wide open to this. And you know what? The people didn't say, well, you know what, Nehemiah, you came a long way. We appreciate your counsel. Go back where you came from. That isn't what Nehemiah said, church. Ne that, that, or that's not what they told Nehemiah. What, what happened was they were moved and they said, you know what? Let's do this work. Let us restore those things that have been torn down. So the first thing I want to talk to you about today, or I want you to repeat after me, is this. We are guaranteed opposition the moment we respond to God's call. The title of the message this morning is Building Blocks. 
Building blocks. Because what? Because there are things that the enemy sends to block us from building, but we need to be those kind of people that are using those blocks to build on. Hallelujah. We need to be those kind of people who are using the opposition to be the fuel to the fire. I, I tell people all the time, listen, when you hear the negative reports, let that become the fuel to your prayer. When you hear those things that are not pleasing, when you hear them talking about you, let that be the thing that motivates you to cry out harder. Don't go ahead and try to fight fire with fire. Let God fight the fire for you. Hello, somebody. And so we have this, this, this situation that we see here. As soon as these people hear from Nehemiah the condition of what they're really dealing with, and after they decide, you know what, we're going to do that, the Bible tells us that these people do something. Look at verse 19 here. It says, but when Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they did what? They laughed. They laughed in the face of the people. They said, are you trying to get up and do something? Are you trying to make changes? Hear what the Spirit is saying, church. This is what they did. These people got a revelation. That what we see is not what God wants it to be. They got a revelation that where we are is not where God is taking us. They got a revelation that they had not yet arrived to the place that God had promised them. And when they got that revelation, they rose up and said, we're going to do something about it. And the moment that they rose up, the devil didn't get quiet. He laughed at them. What do you think the devil does to us when we say, we're going to rise up and make changes. What do you think he does, church? The first thing he does is laughs at us. Why is it? He makes sure that it's heard. How, how, how does he laugh? Well, you know, he laughs through those folks that say, well, this is just a phase. Ha, ha, ha. Did you hear me? That's the enemy, last, that, that, that's the enemy laughing. Oh, he's, he's been to, you know, religious stuff before. That's the enemy laughing. Oh, he, he, he must be emotional. She must be emotional. That's the enemy laughing. Doing what? What does that word laughing mean? It means to mock. It means to deride. It means to say, man, they, 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 they ain't real. They ain't really about nothing. This is just a little phase they're going through. They're not going to last. They're not going to complete this task. So they begin to laugh. And then immediately what happens is after they laugh, then they go ahead and they try to make them seem like they have no right to do it. Are you even going to go against the king? Hold on a second. Time out. Nehemiah says, I ain't even worried about that because I know I already got permission from the king. But I want you to understand that with or without the king, God in heaven, he, y'all should have got excited when we read that scripture. He himself is going to prosper us. He himself is going to give us success. He himself is going to build this wall. He himself is going to bring our deliverance. He himself is going to bring the healing. He himself is going to bring the joy. He himself is going to bring the peace. He, he himself is going to be the one that is going to raise us up. It ain't going to be you. And he said, and let me point this out to you, because I know that you're sitting here thinking you're cute and everything, laughing at me. You ain't got no inheritance in this. You, 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 you ain't got nothing to do with this. This is all God, church. So what do we see here? What is the principle that we find? Well, the first thing that I said is that the moment that we decide to rise up and, 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 and do something for God, the enemy comes. And what does he do? Immediately, he begins to sow this seed of opposition. Sow this seed of discouragement. You know what the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 13? There's some parables there that Jesus is sharing. And one of the parables is a parable of the tares and the wheat. And this is what the scripture says. The scripture says that there was wheat, good wheat, that was sown into the ground. Look what it says. While men slept. This is important. While men slept. When you sleep, what are you? Relaxed, off guard. When you're sleeping, you're not paying attention to the enemy's creeping. Hello, somebody. When you're sleeping, you're not focused on the tactics of the enemy because you're so overwhelmed by work. And listen, there's nothing wrong with resting because the Bible tells us what? To be still and know that he's God. Amen? 
He gives us, but see here, here oh glory to God. Here is the key, and, and I shared this a couple of times. When the Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God, that doesn't mean that we are supposed to be immobile. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be stagnant. What it means is while we are not moving in our situation in, the, in, 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 this, in, in this lateral dimension, what we are literally doing is we are growing in our intimacy with him because while I am resting in him, I am looking for him. I am seeking him, and in my stillness of what I'm going through, I am knowing him in that stillness. I am knowing who he is in the midst of all of that. See, that's what we miss it. We think if God is saying be still, so don't move, don't know him. No, pray more. Seek him more. Fast more. Go after him more. Be in his word more. Why? Because you need him in this moment, and that way you're not sleeping And the enemy is creeping and sowing into your life tears. What are tears? There's something that is sent to contaminate the root of who you are. Did you hear me? Something that is sent at the beginning, not, 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 not in the middle. Because in the middle, the roots are strong. In the middle, the roots are, are, are able to handle stuff. But in the beginning, when that tear comes in, what does it do? It entangles itself. But here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is that it doesn't hinder God's word from growing. It doesn't hinder his word from growing. But what it does is it makes you face challenges that are unnecessary. Did you hear me? Because, see, while the wheat is going to grow, there's a time that the person who is taking care of the wheat has got to come out and say, okay, now it's time for me to pull this wheat because if not, it's going to kill it. Listen, it is important that we understand. And here's the, here's the thing is that on, in the beginning, here, here's, here's the scary thing about tares. The scary thing is that they look similar to the wheat in the beginning. They're imposters, church. They're, 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 they're messages that people give you that are not from God. Hello, somebody. There are things that we hear that are not there, things that, 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 that have nothing to do with the purpose, will, and destiny of God. It have nothing to do with that. And what happens? The enemy comes and he sows them. Sows them when you're not paying attention. But you know what? These people were paying attention. You want to know what the first thing they did? The first thing that they did, church, is they rose up and they began to proclaim the word of God. They rose up and they said, wait a second, God is the one that's going to prosper us, and they made that proclamation. But I need you to understand something. Your proclamation is only as good as your actions. See, because we've lost this, you know, we've got this crazy idea that I'm just going to speak, 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 but I'm not going to live, live, live. Listen, you can speak all day long, but if you're living foul, hello, somebody. Your lifestyle, look, you, 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 can, you can speak every positive thing, all you, can, you can just speak a positive atmosphere. Okay? You, you, you can just have the most positive atmosphere around you, but you're living foul, and you know what you're doing? You're just opening up the door to the enemy to come in and do what? To destroy. So what do we got to do? We need to live what we're preaching. Hello. Come on, that's simple stuff. Practice what you preach. Amen? Number two, please repeat this after me. Our forward progress will stir the enemy's hatred toward us. Now, notice the first thing that happens here in chapter 2 is that they laughed at them. They mocked them, and they questioned them what they were going to do. Chapter 3, what it deals with is it is a specific breakdown of how the wall was going to be rebuilt. Who was working where, and, you know, they, they, they broke it down all the way going counterclockwise and all of this. So that, that's what they did. They showed you the circle and how everything, the wall was going to be built up. That's what they did in chapter 3. Chapter 4 gives us a picture. And look what happens in verse 1 in chapter 4. Turn there. It says, but it so happened when Shambalot heard that they were that, that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. So notice he went from laughing to fury. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's a good thing when the enemy's laughter turns to fury. It means you're going in the right direction because you got him mad. 
He went from laughing, now he's angry. He was, oh, y'all ain't going to, hold on a second. What are they doing? See, he changed his, that's what you want, church. Amen, glory to God. You want the enemy mad at you. You want hell to know about you. Hello, somebody, because you have a choice in the matter. You can be known in hell or not known in hell. Hello. You can go ahead and be like the seven sons of Sceva who came to cast out a demon, and they said, well, we know the Jesus you're talking about, and we know the Paul you're talking about, but who are you? Hello, somebody. See, I'd rather be the Paul they were talking about. Hello. That is known in hell. But you know how that happens? That happens because we are moving in the right direction. Amen? And so the enemy gets furious with them. So he goes on ahead. He says he became furious. Well, he continued to do what? Mock the Jews. But now look what he does. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on him, he will break their stone wall down. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, he, he, he got furious, right? But you know what happens? Here's what happens. He ain't got nothing else but words, so you know what he's going to do? He's going to intensify the words. He's going to intensify them, so he goes from the place of talking, you know, yelling about nothing, to saying, what y'all really think you're doing? You, you really think that little wall you're building is going to make any kind of difference? You really think that you deciding to pray with your spouse is going to make a difference? You think that going to Sundays and Wednesdays and covenant couples and men's and women's is going to make a difference? You, you, you know that kind of stuff. You think going and praying for your coworkers and putting them on an impact list, you think that's going to make a difference? You think setting up lunch appointments to share the gospel with folks, you think that's going to make a difference? You Listen, do you think those things are going to make that's what the enemy wants you to do he wants you to back up and say well listen he but 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 what you need to do church is you need to rise up in faith and say oh yeah it's going to make a difference but here's what you do first look look at verse i told you this book is all about prayer look at verse four look at what he says he didn't even he, at this time he already said to them what he needed to say he doesn't even speak to them he says this he says hear oh our god <laughs> look he says hold on a second lord i already heard your word i don't need to talk to them anymore you know what you talk to them you deal with them. I'm not fighting with them anymore because I got other things that are more important to do. For we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And verse, says, set, verse 6 says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. So look at what happens in, in, in the scriptures here. These people had a task before them. The enemy was laughing at first. Now he becomes irate, irrational. He starts talking all kind of smack. And the way that they dealt with it, I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to rehearse what I already said to you. I don't need to repeat that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Lord, this is your battle. You go on ahead and fight it. This is my wall. I'm going to go ahead and build it. Amen. This is what we've got to do, church, is we have got to be consumed with building what God has called us to build. See, the enemy believes, and th th this is what we don't realize, is that the enemy believes that you are going to stop as he continues to mock you. Do you think, do you understand that he has sometimes, in some, in some cases, in some cases, the devil has more faith than you. And can I tell you something? The only thing that he has to stand on is your response. Did you hear what I just said? You and I have the word of God to stand on. You and I have the promises of God to stand on. You and I have the examples of God to stand on. You and I have those things in the word of God, and all he has is your response. That's it. He has what you've done in the past. Church, we just sang a song today. He makes all things new. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, all things are made new. Why are we not walking in the new, church? That's what we need to do. Walk in the new. Walk in the newness of life according to the book of Romans. That's what the scriptures teach us. So we have a great responsibility because our enemy is not going to relent. Hello, somebody. The enemy will continue. Look, they were halfway done with the job, and guess what? He was still talking smack. 
So what does he do, church? When his, when his mockery doesn't, doesn't work the first time, well, the next thing that he does is he goes on ahead, he mocks a little bit more. So what does he continue? We, we, we're going to continue to read the scriptures. Look with me at verse 7 here. It says, now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were, be, were, were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and became, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, now, now I want to pause for a moment here because we find here that the first thing that we have is, is laughter with mockery. Then we have anger with mockery. Then you know what we have? We have anger with a threat. So when mockery doesn't work, right, you know what my next tactic is? Not mine, but the enemy's next tactic is? Now I'm going to threaten you. Now I'm going to threaten you that I'm going to come and tear that thing down. Now, not only am I going to tear it down, but you're going to lose your life based on what you're living for. Hello. So I'm bringing a threat to say, you know what? You, th 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 you, you can't keep doing this. You're going to have to make a choice. And what do they do, church? Well, Judah said, they, 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 Judah spoke up. Oh, right before, and right before he spoke, what did they do? They made a watch. What does that mean? That, that means that they were up all night in prayer. Hello, somebody. They were up all night seeking God's face, watching to see which way is the enemy going to come because we got something for him. Church, do you have something for the enemy? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, do you have something for the enemy? When he comes your way, do you have something for the enemy? Hello. Listen, when he comes against you, do you have something for him? Are you there? I need to call someone to pray for me. Hear me, church? You need to have, God has, he has not put any more Holy Spirit in me than he has in you. Hello. Everybody in this place, he hasn't put more Holy Spirit in any leader in here than he has in you because all of us have the same access to the same God, to the same Bible, to the same promises, to the same power. The question is, am I locked up in that secret place with him, allowing him to pour into me? That thing that's going to answer my enemy. Church, it's important for us to understand this is what he did. So he gets the threat, and what do they do? All right. They all pull together. They did a watch. Let's keep reading here in this story. And he goes on, and he says here, verse 10, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said they will neither know that we will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dealt near who, who dwelt near near them came that they told us the times from whatever place you turn they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles to the leaders and to the rest of the people do not be afraid of them remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren your sons your daughters your wives and your houses church that is what we are fighting for we are fighting for the salvation of souls we are fighting to see lives change we are fighting for those who don't even realize that they are bound in sin we are fighting for those who are walking around blinded who are walking around deaf who are walking around hard in their hearts we are fighting for those those people, church, and this is what Nehemiah declares to them. Fight for them. And look at verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard. Hold on a second. Church, actions speak. Actions speak. It wasn't just about what they said. They said, okay, God has called us to do this. Now you know what we're going to do? We are positioning ourselves to fight because you know what? You're not going to come and stop what God has called us to do, not because we're so great, but because God is great. Hello. And it says this. It says, and when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to, isn't it awesome to know that God is able to bring the plan of the enemy to nothing, that all of us, look at this, once they knew this, all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Hallelujah. Church, look what happens. They have this threat that comes their way. And when they get this threat that things are going to go bad, that, 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 that there's going to be some major attack against their lives, they, don't, they, they stop, position themselves to fight. The enemy saw their actions, and what did he do? He backed up. And what did they do? Did they go home and have a soda? 
they went back to work. They got engaged in doing the work of the kingdom. Hallelujah. And look what he says in verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half half held spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all of the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Hallelujah. So what do these people do? These people learn the wonderful art of having a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. Hallelujah. They learn the art of saying, you know what, I'm going to put my sword right here, and I'm going to go and do the work that I've got to do. And just in case the enemy decides to rise up while I'm working for the glory and honor of God, I have my weapon, and he's done with. Hello, somebody. This is the mindset of kingdom builders. This is the mindset of those who are going to do works that are going to bring glory and honor to God. Works that are greater than the works of Christ. That is what God has called us to do, church. And so we find that when the when 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 these when these um mockeries don't work and those things fail, then we see that he moves on to now making threats. And so what happens after he threatens you threatens us? And see, I hope you notice that we're talking about how the enemy comes at you. So that way you know that when you see these things happening in your life, this is the enemy and you can recognize that. Amen? So what happens? He mocks you. He threatens you. And then the last thing that he's got, the last thing in his great arsenal is he lies about you. Look at chapter 6. Look, look, look over at chapter 6. Just look, just, just look over there real quick. And I'm, I'm going to have you jump down real quick to verse 5. In the beginning of chapter 6, we find that these people, they couldn't stop the building project. So you know what they did? They They wanted to do something to the leader. They wanted to do something to the one who was leading this whole thing. So what does he say here? In verse 5 it says, then Sambalot said, now mind you, when he did this, well, let's pause for a moment. While they were asking him to come, they were saying, hey, you know, Nehemiah, can you come and have a meeting with us? Can you come and sit down with us? They wanted to harm him. They wanted to do something. But Nehemiah was so consumed with what he was doing, he said, you know, I ain't got time for all of that right there. So then they said, well, you know, we're going to get his attention. In verse 5 it says, then Sambalot sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. He's trying to get him to come have a meeting. He's like, man, I ain't got time for that meeting. I'm busy doing the work over here. The fifth time, they bring this letter that's a lie. This letter had no truth to it. They weren't trying to build a kingdom and, and all of this kind of stuff to, to take over. And he, he was definitely not trying to be the king. That wasn't the case. But look at his response. He didn't go and start crying, did he? Look what he says. Then I sent to him. Now he responds saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Church, hear me. It was a lie. So when the enemy can't mock you and get you to stop, when the enemy can't threaten you to get you to stop, you know what he's going to do? He's going to lie about you to get you to stop. Hopefully you get caught up in the lie. But you know what is beautiful? What is beautiful is that when you and I are consumed in kingdom work, we can laugh at the lies of the enemy. Because we are consumed. See, that's the reason why it is so important to live in the light, not the darkness. That's why it is so important to be who you are in public, the same person you are privately. Hello, somebody. What does that mean? You need to be a a, a heathen publicly? No, you need to repent. And live righteously publicly, hello, and live righteously privately. I'm not telling you walk around if you just got a nasty mouth, just be nasty mouth. I ain't, I ain't telling you none of that stuff. I'm telling you that, that that is sinful, and the reason why you don't do it in public and you do it in private is because you know it's wrong, but you're trying to hide it. Hello? So stop hiding and repent. Amen? Stop hiding and turn away from sin. Live the life that God has called you to live. That's what he was doing. 
Nehemiah was wide open. He was, there was nothing to hide. He didn't have some secret thing going on. He didn't have prophets telling the people, I'm going to be. He didn't, none of that stuff was true. But what, what was the point? The point was to get their hands to become weak at the work. That was the whole goal of these people was to get them to become unsuccessful in fulfilling this building project. Successful overcoming of obstacles, church, that are sent by the enemy is the result of persevering unto the end. Hear me. It is important for us to make sure that we do not give up midstream. It is important for us to make sure that we keep our eyes on the prize. Amen? That we keep our hearts focused on the goal of the upward calling that we have in Christ Jesus. That every our goal in this earth, church, should be that every area of our lives looks the way that the Word of God says it should look. Amen? That should be our goal. And that means that you and I should not stop running the race until we stop breathing. Hello. Until we are done, until we see everything perfect. And then you know what? When we see everything in our life perfect, that doesn't mean we've worked hard enough. Now we need to help others get their life perfect. Hello. That's for all the perfect people in the house. Hallelujah. Because I know there's some perfect folks in here that think they got it all together and they don't need any more help. And they, okay, everything looks like, okay, that, that's a lie. But anyway, if you feel that way, if you feel that way, glory to God. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, bless you. Hallelujah. Come and talk to me because I need to know how to get it all together too as well. Praise the Lord. But for those of us that have already arrived, help some other folk arrive. That's going to be the real test to you having arrived. Amen. When you start helping other people and bringing them in to that perfection, that's when that test comes, church. Because then you get to see how perfect is my life. Hallelujah. The third thing, repeat this after me. We must determine... To fight for that which is bigger than us. We must determine to fight for that which is bigger than us. Look at verse 9 again with me, please. Look what he says. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. I want you to notice the emphasis is not on their hands being weakened. It is on the work not being done. They didn't care if their hands were weakened in the beginning. They cared that they didn't finish the work. That is all the enemy cares about. He doesn't care if you stop because you're tired. He doesn't care if you stop because you're offended. He doesn't care if you stop because you're broke. He doesn't care if you stop because you're angry. He doesn't care if you stop because you're in sin. He he just wants you to stop. He wants you not to continue forward in what God is calling you to do. And so this is the tactic of the enemy, but the ultimate goal is so the work will not be done. Because church, when the work is not done, the kingdom is not extended, lives are not saved, people are not transformed, the world is not revived because the work is not done. There is much work to be done, church, in the building and extending of the kingdom, and we must wake up to our responsibility in the kingdom work and not allow our hands to become weakened, not allow ourselves to become intimidated by the threats of the enemy, not allow ourselves to be stilled by the mockeries of the enemy, church. But we have got to be those people that rise up and are building something that is bigger than us. Because here's what happens. It is easy for us to become so overwhelmed with our personal lives that we forget about the greater calling on our lives. What is that greater calling? Well, the Apostle Paul said that we have all been called into fellowship with Christ. We can forget that we have been called. That fellowship means konania. It means intimate sharing. We have been called to intimate sharing with Christ. Christ wants you and I to share in his goodness. He wants us to experience him. What else have we been called to do, church? Jesus himself said, ye are the light of the world. Hallelujah. 
The Apostle Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. So that tells me that this greater calling is for us to do what? Have intimacy with our Savior, to be the light that shines brightly in this dark world, to be the ambassadors that are before this world, representing the King in all areas. That is the greater calling for us to be kingdom builders, church, for us to be those who are real world changers. That is the greater calling, and that's what we are fighting towards. And here's the thing, is that the enemy desires, like I said, to weaken our hands through something called distraction. Distraction, church. He wants to hinder us by distracting us. Now, you know, the other day I was introduced to the game called handball. Hallelujah. Very fun game, praise the Lord. Gets you to run around and all that kind of good stuff. But if you get distracted for a moment, you can run into a wall, get smacked in the face, get hit in the back with a ball. There's a whole lot of different things that can happen. Because, you know, you're not up in there wearing pads. You know, you with a ball, walls, and, your, and, your, and yourself. Hello. If you get distracted, the bottom line is you are going to lose the game if you stay distracted. It's okay to get distracted once. All right. My bad. <laughs> but if you stay distracted, you lose the game. And can I tell you something? Distraction doesn't have to be physical. Distraction can be right here. Listen, y'all out there playing basketball and all that stuff, what's the point of this person talking smack to you? To do what? To distract you. They're in the flesh, you know, but anyway, no, I'm just joking. Not in the flesh. They're they, 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 they just playing the game. They're just playing the game. That's all it is. That's all, that's all we're doing, playing the game, right? What are we doing? We're trying to get your mind off of what is important at the moment, which is what? You guarding that person or you playing fundamentally correct. They want to get you so amped up that you're making dumb mistakes. Hello. Or that you just shut down completely and you, ain't want, you don't want to do anything. You become a non-factor on the court. What is that? It's about distraction, church. So what distractions do we see here? There are two things that I find in this story that stood out to me. And if you look with me to chapter 4 and verse 6, I want to show you the first type of distraction. Because there are two distractions that are detrimental and have lasting effects on us. And it is number one, when we become complacent. And number two is when we become careless. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6, look at what it says here. It says, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Notice what the text says. The text says that the wall was completely halfway to its height, because everybody was ready to work. So you know what happens? This is what happens to us all the time. We accomplish some things, and we say, I've done enough. Hello? We have some accomplishments. We become complacent. Because of what? Because we have attacks that are coming against our lives, and then all of a sudden we have to do what? We have to back up from things. And can I just say something? I know this is going to be real rough right now. I know you all were laughing and stuff, but glory to God, this is going to hurt a little bit. But you know what? This is what I find to be so true. When we are engaged in kingdom work, we are consumed with that, and that's what we want to do. But when we begin to become complacent in our kingdom work and attacks begin to come, like, for example, attacks against our finances, right? What happens? The first place that we want to cut, I told you this is going to be rough. The first place that we want to cut is our giving. We didn't cut our cable. We didn't cut our little, you know, Netflix or Blockbuster, whatever. We, we didn't cut that. They still pulling that out every month, whatever it is. We didn't cut our going out expense. Because, you know, we have to eat out a couple times a week. But, man, I can't, I, 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 I can't give the same thing I was giving before. You can give to everybody else except the kingdom. I know, I know. It hurts. It's all right. Praise the Lord. The truth hurts, but it shall set you free. Amen. 
we start having issues, time becomes a factor. The first thing, I, I, well, I guess I can't go to Wednesday night Bible study. I, you know, I, I can't go to women of worship. That's just, you know, that just takes up too much time. Okay. The first place, church, and listen, I'm, th- this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is someone who's youth pastored for three years, been the bishop here for seven years. Amen. That's ten years of experience. I ain't talking out of the side of my neck. I didn't just jump in this yesterday and just talking. Hello. I've seen this. I've counseled. I've talked with folks. They get, com- and you, know, you, you want to know, you, you know the core reason for this is because they become complacent. I don't need to keep giving that much because I already have everything I want. Wrong mindset for giving. I don't need to keep coming to Bible study because I already know enough. I become complacent. I don't need to reach other folks in my community because complacent, church. So the first thing that becomes detrimental is we become complacent because we see our success. But can I point this out to you? Can you just do me a favor? Just be a pessimist for a moment. When you see your success, see the glass half empty or half full or whatever it's supposed to be. I don't know. Half empty. I said it right. Glory to God. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. (laughs) See the cup as needing to be filled up, not being half full. See it as, you know, it, it, it looks good, but we got more to do. Look at it and let it, let that be the motivation. Man, glory to God, we're halfway there and we're going to get to that. Let that be the motivation to shake you out of being complacent, church. Because complacency is detrimental to the building project of God. The second thing that I said was carelessness. First of all, when we, are, when, when we decide that we're going to be complacent, we are settling for less than what God has promised and settling less than what God demands of us. Because here's the thing. We all want to talk about God's promises, promises, promises. And I love all of God's promises. But what about God's demands? Have you thought about those? Have you thought about God's demands on your life? The demands for you to represent him in all areas. The demands for you to be a godly husband. The demands for you to be a godly wife. The demands for you to be a faithful employee. The demands for you to be a good neighbor. The demand, you know, all of those demands. See, we forget about all of those things. And so what we do is we settle, well, I'm an okay husband. That, are, you, are you a godly husband? Hello, somebody. Are you, are you a man of God who, 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 who commands, not because you've got a big mouth or big, no, no. But a man of God who commands the respect, not because you're a tyrant, but because you are in love with Jesus and his love is overflowing and people see him. in that, That's the kind of man of God we're talking about, church. Is that, have, have we arrived there yet? Because if we haven't arrived there, we got a long way to go. Hallelujah. Are you a woman of God that has, listen, I'm talking about a real woman of God that has your husband dying to get home. Because I'm always dealing with the men, but I'm going to deal with the women for a moment here. Glory to God. Real woman. I mean, I'm talking about not, 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 not just because he has to come home to take a shower and get clothes. He has no other choice in the matter. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a man of God who when he is at work and he's looking at the time, he's like, I can't wait to get home. Glory to God. A man of God that just, I mean, that he just wants. To, is, is that the kind of woman of God you are? That's the goal, church, is to be that kind of people. Mm-hmm. Don't get complacent. Amen? The second thing is being careless. Look at chapter 4 and verse 10 with me, please. Look what Judah says. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the walls. And our adversaries said they will neither, that we will neither know nor see anything till we come into their hands and kill them and cause the work to cease. Now look at this. The first thing I said was complacency because you have arrived somewhere. The second thing is ignoring things, being careless. Look what Judah said. They were in the middle of having a great time building up these wonderful walls, doing great works. But you know what the problem was? There was still a whole bunch of mess that hadn't been dealt with. And can I tell you something, church? This is something that we are, that we are great for. 
We try to work for the kingdom. Steady working, 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 doing this, doing that. Busy, 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 doing all these things that need to be done. But we're neglecting the mess that we need to clean up before we're going to be able to move forward. Did you hear me, church? This is what was happening here. What was happening was these people were engaged in this work, but they were going up, but the mess wasn't being cleaned up. The mess that was there wasn't being dealt with. And you want to know what happens? When you got that mess there, you got to go around stuff. Like I was saying earlier, you don't want to pick stuff up, so you're making all kind of adjustments, wasting all kind of energy. And you know what you're not going to be able to do? You're not going to be able to complete the task. So what do we have to do? Number one, we can't become complacent. The second thing is we cannot become careless, church. We have got to pay attention to those things that may not seem like a big deal because today they may not be a big deal, but tomorrow they're the reason for a divorce. Did you hear what I just said? Today they may not be a big deal, but tomorrow they're the reason why your kid runs away. Today they may not be a big deal, but tomorrow's when you find out that someone committed suicide. Did you hear what I just said, church? I remember when I was in middle school, it was just like that. I was, this is, this is no lie. This is the exact truth. Now, I didn't know Christ, so I didn't have the conviction to share the gospel with this young man. But I will never forget it. I was with him. We were at the park. We had got a bicycle, and I think, I have to confess, I think we stole the bike from somewhere, yanked it from somewhere or whatever. And I remember we had this bike. We were playing in a park for hours. This was like on a Friday. When I come to school on Monday, and they make the announcement over the intercom, they say, Doug such and such has committed suicide. Let's have a moment of silence for him. Listen, church, we have to pay attention to what is going on and deal with issues. We can't just sweep junk under the rug because you know what happens? The more you sweep it under the rug, the bigger the pile becomes. And then before you know it, you're tripping all over the place, falling all over the place, can't even get in, can't get out. And that is not what God wants. God wants us to be able to fulfill his purpose. And the only way that happens is with us dealing with the things that need to be dealt with. Amen? One of the most important components, and I'm getting ready to close now, to us being able to overcome is unity in work and warfare. There must be unity in work and in warfare. Look at verse 19 and look what it says here. Then I said, speaking of Nehemiah, to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another other on the wall. When, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Our God will fight for us. This is what he says. He says, this wall is great. There's people scattered all over the place. We don't know where the enemy is going to come. But when you hear the sound of a trumpet, drop what you're doing, run to the sound of the trumpet, and fight the battle. This is what he says. How does that apply to us today? Well, you know what? We don't all live in the same house. Hello. Some of us don't even live in the same county. Some of us don't live close to each other, and we are doing work over here, doing work over there. And so what does that mean, church? That means that we need to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit that calls us to pray one for the other, that calls us to give a call and say, I'm praying for you. Is there something going on? We need to become sensitive to that trumpet sound of God that calls the body of Christ together to begin to cry out and begin to seek his face, not on your behalf, but on behalf of others. Hello. See, that's the key, church. If we are going to be able to complete what God has called us to do as a body, there must be unity in our work as well as our warfare. And we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Turn with me to chapter 6 and verse 15, and we'll close here. My question is this. Is has the enemy been successful and weakening your hands. Has the enemy been successful in keeping you from doing the fullness of what God has called you to do? Has he gotten you so comfortable with how everything is going okay that you have forgotten your first love? 
that you have forgotten the calling, that no longer does anything burn in you like it used to. If that's you in this place, today's the day for you to repent and say, God, forgive me for not allowing you to lead me in this work. Has he, has he gotten you so caught up in circumstances, so caught up in things that you are overwhelmed and you have just dropped the ball, taking your hand off the plow and you're working on other stuff? Listen, today is a day to say, God, help me to fulfill your will in this earth. See, because here's the beauty of this. In chapter 6 and verse 15, it says something awesome. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard it. Remember, they're hearing. Heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Church, God wants to do things through us that our bank account can't justify. That doesn't mean going and getting into debt. That's not what that means. That means following his direction to fulfill what he's called you to fulfill, what he's called us to fulfill. God wants to do things through you that you don't have enough degrees to be the one who they called to do it. Are, are you hearing me, church? God wants to raise you up in a way that everybody who hears of it and sees it has to say, man, if it wasn't for the Lord, that would have never happened, church. But that cannot happen. See, because here is the thing is that the works that God calls us to do, while they are by his grace, they require our participation, church. They require us to get busy. They require us to work. They require us to get involved in what God is calling us to do. And you know what work is, church? It is something that makes us tired, and that's where the grace of God comes in. But anything that God calls us to do has got to be outside of our own abilities, and we have got to trust that he's able to fulfill that which he purposes in us. So this morning, if you're a person that says that your hands have become tired, maybe you've become complacent, maybe you've become careless, and you say, God, I want to get back in the flow. I want to get back in the groove. I want to get back in line with you and working for your kingdom. If that's you in this place, this is your day. Everybody stand to your feet, please. Bow your heads and close your eyes.